Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Hey, uh, Sean, you wear hats a lot down there in Florida? Right there, here. There he goes. He's got his <laughs> South Carolina hat on. There you go. Look at that. <laughs> well, if you want to you want to get a free hat, go send a marketing, send an email to marketing at axontire.com, and they'll send you a free Alliance uh, baseball cap. So to beat off that, that hot Florida sun, you'd be, uh, you'd be good well, for if it. Well, if, if you send me a, a pumpkin peeler at it, you know, then I, you know, I'm really interested in getting a pumpkin peeler. Okay, I'll see yeah. what I can do for you. <laughs> but send, a, send an email at marketing at axontire.com, and they'll send you a hat. I promise that for sure. So do that. All right. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call a Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. Or <clears throat> go to valleytransinc.com. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Sean is with uh, Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Never been better. Never, never been better. better. Well, that's never been better. That's pretty impressive, Sean. Because I'm on your show, I've never been. Oh, well, there you go. See, oh, so yeah, that's that's outstanding. Um, you sent out a report this morning. It got into my uh, in my hot little hands here about an hour ago, and I had I was kind of reading the high points of it. It's kind of going through it, but you're basically talking about what's going on um, with your natural climate change models that you've talked about, uh, and, and what that looks like, and and you're talking about. You know, the rough start, we've seen that. We've talked about that. It's coming true. I talked to a friend of mine in Illinois yesterday, and he's like, man, Sean's right. They haven't turned a wheel yet anywhere, and it's still uh, slow getting after it, and some guys have got some stuff in, but this is delay after delay after delay. And then you're talked about what was going on in the second crop corn uh, down in Brazil, and that's starting to come true. So I guess, Sean, talk about those two topics. Yeah, we've been worried about this spring for a long time. We've been, you know, we've been expecting and anticipating a late ending winter, a lot of cold, a lot of snow, especially in the northern plains. They had record snowfall in North Dakota and, and parts there, thereby. Um, in fact, flooding on the Red River. Uh, we have we have some we've actually broken records of uh, the Red River cresting 
Um, and it looks like with the, with the moisture we're going to continue to receive, that we could have the latest, um, highest readings of the Red River in late May ever seen in, in, since we've been recording this in the 100, over 100, 100 years. Um, so this is not good for anything going on in the Northern Plains, whether you're trying to plant spring wheat, whether you're trying to plant corn, whether you're trying to plant, you know, and this is going to Canada, it's just as bad. So this is really a problem. I mean, this is kind of one of those weather events, Casey, like we just haven't really seen that. Remember, these were the same areas last year that had a one in 100 year drought. Mm -hmm. Now we're having a one in 100 year precipitation snowfall event. Uh, that's how Mother Nature works. Uh, it giveth and it taketh away. And then, uh, then, of course, right to your south, the southern, central, southern, western plains, one in 100 year drought. Yeah. So you have. I'm there. I'm saying you have, you have these two bifurcated regions yep. back to back with a line creating these two weather extremes kc winter wheat at least half the kc winter wheat crop worst ever and of course spring wheat after last year's terrible crops hoping to get off to a good start hoping to get more acres planted hoping to and it's just not going to happen so it's setting up kc as we've been talking about for a long time that kc wheat spring wheat and corn are setting up for we think some kind of a weather driven blow off top here in mid late may and early june um, that prices all this crazy weather in, including this uh, escalating drought now in second crop corn, Mato Grosso in Brazil. Remember now, let's 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 make sure we understand the difference between this year and last year in second crop corn. Last year, no rain, and they 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 were planted late because there was no moisture, so they had no subsoil moisture. They planted late, and they had a drought with tons of heat, the worst ever, like the worst ever, right? This year is going to be better. But we were hoping for a top bin buster crop, 110, 115 million metric tons. Not going to happen. We started off with great subsoil moisture. We got the crop planted early. It came out in fantastic shape. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the month of April, if the rest of the week finishes out the way it's supposed to, will be the third driest in 50 years. It's been cool up to this point. That's been saving the crop somewhat. But unfortunately... The next two weeks, we're looking at mid upper 90s, potentially 100 degrees in this key Mato Grosso area of Brazil. So the crops are the crop conditions are going to fall rapidly as pollination is in, in full swing. So it's going to definitely be better than last year. You know, last year, I think, was, was around 85 million metric tons. Uh, this year, we think it's going to be more around 100 million metric tons. But that's a huge uh, lowering of crop potential from what was expected at a time that we have no corn ending stock. So... It's just another another reason to expect this blow-off top potential here, Casey, in mid, late May, early June, that we think could set the high for the year. Even if we have a weather scare in July like we typically do, uh, probably not going to get ourselves as bulled up as we are likely to get here later on in May. Yep. So. All right, so I'll, real quick, let's talk about this for a second because <clears throat> of where I live at and, and what I see happening. You know, you're talking about the, the one in 100 year um, flooding conditions that you see up in North and South Dakota. Uh, last year, like you talked about, it was flipped around. It was a, it was a one in 100 year drought. Um, it seems like my area where I'm at, comparatively to where they're at there, so I'm in the Nebraska Panhandle, and the Nebraska Panhandle, Eastern Wyoming, uh, Eastern Colorado, Western Kansas kind of corridor there, uh, that really seems to do the opposite of what's going on in in that north and south dakota region when it's really hot and dry up there it's it's really 
not really cool and, and wet down here, but I mean, it's, it's a way cooler and way wetter, but, uh, and then you flip it around, you know, when it's dry up there or what's wet up there, it's dry down here. So you're starting to see that. Is that something that you've noticed? Is that something you see where there's a, there's a, uh, a flipping of those areas throughout the country like that? Yeah, it's not uncommon for that to be the case. Uh, the, the, the way that, because of the mountainous terrain and, mm -hmm. and how the airflow uh, tends to operate and what creates these, you know, wet, dry patterns in the northern plains, it, it does tend to create an opposite airflow pattern in, you know, in that, in that box that you talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, the box this year that southern Texas, we've talked about, mm -hmm. you know, southern Oklahoma, I mean, uh, western Oklahoma, western Nebraska, uh, Nebraska western uh, Kansas, you know, that box has just missed out. They just yep. missed out. And, um, and, but the other half of the KC wheat belt's actually gotten the moisture and actually is in pretty good shape. So you have half the crop that's the worst rated ever. The other half isn't too bad. But right now it looks to me, Casey, that the bad is worse than the good is good, mm -hmm. for, for lack of a better way of saying it. And, and so we have the crop ratings last night. Overall, I think they came in at 28 or I think the second worst conditions ever for that time. And it's, I don't see anything in the weather pattern. It's good. We, we need rain to come in between now and mid-May. And then it doesn't really matter what happens, and I don't see it happening. Yeah, I think that's that's why this winter wheat market's got a price. Whatever it has to do, it's going to have to price that reality in, and then move on. And I, we're in the process of pricing that in right now. Forgetting what's going on in Russia, that's it's just a U.S. weather-driven mm -hmm. market right now. And and what the spring wheat market's got to do, <laughs> it's got to figure out, you know, what are we looking at? How many acres are we going to get planted? And if we, and whatever we do get planted, what what's the prognosis? for the yield potential if we, if we have this kind of a wet you know situation you know the, the market's gonna have to price whatever they think that means and so it's really a an interesting situation that's developed in the wheat market and corn you know is really um a, a situation where it, it also you know because of what the usda said that we we're going to plant a lot less acres than everybody thought everybody wanted an early start Let's get going. Let's get those planters rolling. That's not happening. It's not going to happen. So now it brings in a question. Maybe that is the number. <laughs> right. Or, or are we going to be planting corn in June like we did in 2019 and, and, and roll the dice? Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. But there's so much uncertainty. We have to price all that in. I think we will by the time we get to mid, late, May, early June. And then after that, it's, it's going to be hard. We think we're going to have a very, very good finished of a back half of the year growing season. We think we're going to have record soybean yields. And so whatever we do there, we think that's it. And then we just work our way kind of down. We have maybe have a little weather scare in July, but we think this is really an important time for producers to really hone in on what do I need to sell? How much do I need to sell? How far out do I need to sell it? It's not a time to um, throw caution to the wind on this. These are uh, prices that are probably going to set a high watermark for a little while before you know, we get weather rocking and rolling again because El Nino yeah. is going to be very good for U.S. It's going to be very good for South America. Asia is going to be in trouble, but that impacts different crops than the ones that impact U.S. and South America. Yeah. So. Okay. So you can't have this conversation about ending corn stocks without talking about ethanol. And you, you see happening there. I mean, you've got, you know, they're buying record high corn to, uh, to distill and, and to move forward with. I guess as you look at ethanol right now, what are your thoughts there? I've always felt, regardless of government support, lack thereof, and subsidies and all those kind of things, if it's economical to produce the ethanol 
everyone will produce as much ethanol as they can, just like the crush, the bean crush. Mm -hmm. If it's profitable to do the bean crush, bean crushers will crush as many beans as they're able to until the margins drops. So, you know, we have we have you know the oil price hovering around hundred. We have the, the the U.S. government desperately trying to shove strategic petroleum reserves onto the market to keep the price down. It's not a solution. <laughs> it's just a, a temporary band-aid. But I mean, the bottom line is, um, you know, we either need to have a really, really nasty global recession to knock the oil demand down or pricing to go a whole lot higher. Mm -hmm. So that would su suggest to me that, you know, overall, we're looking at high energy prices into the summer and into the early fall and, um, and ethanol demand should be strong. Now, if we get ten or twelve dollar corn, maybe that won't be good anymore. I don't know. You know, what I'm saying yeah. obviously at some point price gets too high, or you know, if there would be a surprise, you know, if uh, Saudi Arabia say, all right, we're gonna we're gonna dump, we're gonna yeah. max out production, and we're gonna crush the thing to sixty five, that'd have a huge impact. So, uh, but looking at what's likely to happen, you know, I think I think ethanol demand is going to be solid, Casey. I don't really see that faltering without a much higher corn price or without something dramatically changing you know, with the Middle East. Yep. All right. Um, hit on the, the wheat parts, what I want to talk about. Um, and then let's jump down and let's spend a little time talking about what's going on in cattle and hogs. Uh, we've talked about that quite a bit on here, uh, what we see happening there. And there's still that um, little bit of a rough start this week when you look at what's going on with cattle futures and what that looks like. Um, but if you, there's still that whole underlying scenario out there of, of animal counts. So I guess take, talk a little bit about cattle market we see happening there. Yeah, the livestock sector is just caught in the middle mm -hmm. of two powerful forces. One force is there's not enough animals, and there's not going to be enough animals. Against, we're going down the tubes, we're going into recession, the Federal Reserve is raising rates, um, China's locked down 500 million people. You know, they're not going to need any pork. And, you know, so so we're just stuck. And then we have this high feed price that doesn't make cattle ranchers, you know, want to expand the herd. In fact, it makes them want to liquidate the herd. So so we're, we're stuck. And, and it, depending on the week that you're talking about, if they come in and focus on the supply, you get a strong rally. And they come and they focus on, uh, you know, the, uh, the demand side worries and some extra herd liquidation. You know, they knock the market down. So it looks to me like it's going to continue to be a choppy market. I still think it trends upward because I do think the grilling season is still going to be pretty good. But we, we, we need to get the top in in feed. We need to get the corn price topped out. We need to get the market convinced that we've made a formal high and we're coming back down and that, we're, that, the, that the livestock producer is going to get a cheaper feed price that he can buy, that he can lock in. That's going to make him want to stop liquidating animals and, 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 and at least stop doing that. And then that allows the tight supply to really kick in for the demand that's out there. And so that's kind of where we're at. Um, but I do think that there's an opportunity, if, if I'm correct, if we're correct about this final spike high here in corn and feed prices here in mid-late May, that could be your final uh, knockdown in the livestock sector before we, we kind of flip the switch on these two bifurcated uh, trends and flip it around where you get the 2013-14 style livestock rally on the post of the 2012 high in corn and feed prices, we could be looking at a repeat performance of that 
that timing window to what we're seeing now, it looks to me like that's the setup here. Later this year could be pretty interesting and exciting if we can avoid, you know, some crazy economic troubles. So, yep. Okay. So, with that being said, with the the continued lockdowns we've seen in China and in, in the uh, the slowing of their economy, I guess. What's your thoughts there? I mean, on on exporting um, up hogs and, and even beef to China right now. And do, you, do you expect to see that slow down, or do you think that have really any effect on what we see on the overall price? My working theory is on food. Chinese will find a way to get into the country if they really need it. I think the Shanghai port, which is really the port that's in question, that's really a lot more kind of gumming up the global trading system, is more about us receiving shipments from them than necessarily them receiving our food. I mean, I think they're, they need the corn. If they need the pork, they're going to buy it. And <laughs> Hey, guys, you wait outside, and these guys are coming in. <laughs> you know, right, right, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get to you later. I mean, I, I don't think that's going to impact the food if they need it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it could impact a lot of things that we need that we buy from China that may be delayed or short supply and that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's more of that kind of an issue more than it is uh, – our supplies not being able to make it over there if, if they need the supply, if they need the supply. Right on. So. Okay. All right. Uh, last topic. Let's talk a little bit about what we see happening in the energy market because you hit on it where with ethanol and what you see there. Um, oil price is still hovering around the $100 mark, kind of back and forth. Uh, you see it go up and down. There's a lot of volatility there. Obviously, everything's hinging off what we see happen with Russia as far as the Russia-Ukraine thing happened that is going on there. As you look at what's going on with energy, especially oil, what are your thoughts there? I, I'm a professor. I'm not an energy expert like I am in agriculture, but I know enough to be dangerous. But um, my understanding of the situation, and for those that research this far more than I do, who, are, who I believe are really smart, who have done some incredible work on this stuff, is they believe we are going to enter the end of spare capacity come the fourth quarter of this year, absent some calamity in the global economy, meaning that the spare capacity that uh, Saudi Arabia has always had to, you know, whenever they want to crush the market, their view or many people's view that really are smart about this believe that we're going to pretty much use up that spare capacity and that we won't have it. We've never actually ever used up our spare capacity before. This would be the first time we ever are going to test that theory of what happens when you reach no spare capacity in the marketplace. Um, and the view of many is that this is going to trigger potentially a supply pinch event if anything you know, goes wrong at all. Uh, meaning like, like the a 1970s? lot of well, yeah, I mean, like yeah. 150, 200 dollars oil kind of okay. stuff, and you know, and and, and so so, uh, and then if you think about natural gas, and that's something we do know a little more about, right? Uh, uh, when you look at fracking and you look at the fracking industry that really got going in 2006-7 and it's been really providing cheap natural gas to the U.S. for this entire period of time until just recently when we had this big spike in natural gas prices that was part of our forecast. Um, when you look at what's actually what part of the fracking areas that are still available to go get and you look at how much production that can bring online versus how much production we're losing from those production areas that are in terminal decline, um, it looks like we could reach 
that we could that we could we could use up our spare capacity domestically here in the U.S. In our, I mean, we've always had spare capacity. That's what's kept the natural gas market low. Every time we got the price up, we just produced more, and that was it. We buried the market. But it looks like we could reach no spare capacity in the U.S. later this year on a combination of what I just mentioned about the eroding wells versus the upcoming wells and the, and the, and the, the mismatch between those two, and the fact that this LNG thing has just gotten out of, it's gotten really going and we have and we're going to be selling sending 35 percent more overseas to lng we could be also reaching no spare capacity in the u.s it's the only cheap energy source left in the world is u.s natural gas anywhere it's the only one if that is in fact true and i think that it is um then we have a problem and uh, that this move higher to eight dollars that we saw briefly before we're getting the seasonal correction isn't over that we actually are going to have a secondary rally into the fall that you know could take us substantially higher. Remember, the rest of the world is at 30, 35, 40, you know, natural gas, and we're still sitting at six and seven. We may be in the process of connecting with the rest of the world permanently, meaning we're permanently going to get rid of our circular domestic-oriented pricing mechanism and actually create a uh, and actually have our natural gas be priced the way everything else is. And if that's the case, cheap natural gas is gone and gone for a long time. And that would mean huge ramifications for the long-term price of fertilizer in the U.S. One of the saving graces of the U.S. is that we've had this cheap natural gas that's provided this cheap fertilizer for in Canada too. If we lose that edge... And, and you know, then, then then we lose some of the advantages that agriculture has had relative to the rest of the world. We've had to pay these much much higher uh, prices for energy, for fertilizer, and things of that nature. So, energy is a really interesting place where we're, we're we're about to test the boundaries of what's possible here, Casey. And um, you know, like I said, we could be entering. We we think we've entered an energy crisis, but it may actually just be the beginning of a much more protracted energy crisis later in the year, unless we have a really, really, like I said, a really, really uh, nasty economic short, you know, uh, fall off here that kind of kicks the can down the road. Into Either way, we're going to get to the end point. It's just a question of, is it going to be later this year or will a, will a, a recession kick the can down into 23? Um, you know, hard to predict those kind of things, but that's something that I worry about. And I think that's something that everyone in agriculture should be worried about. Right so, on. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hacker Financial. What's the best way to do that? What's the best way to get your, your newsletter, to, newsletter to you? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have all kinds of information on there. There's a link on there to subscribe if they wanted to, if they find our information valuable. Um, you know, it, it, and it's, it's, it's taking what we talk about in your show and, and taking it to another level. So Right on. It's great stuff. You guys subscribe to that to that uh, newsletter, you're going to get tons of information that, that you're not going to find anywhere else. I can promise you that. It's, it's very few and far between to find the stuff that Sean's talking about and, and, and published out there. So make sure you do that. Reach out to Sean, talk to him a little bit about what's going on there, and uh, go from there. So, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. 
Thanks, Casey. We'll look forward to it next week. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast, all at Moving Iron LLC. Go to uh, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Go to uh, the YouTube channel, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. And uh, I'm actually on Snapchat, which I don't even know how to use yet. It's the most confusing thing on the planet. So check out. I sound like a 90-year-old guy over here talking about Snapchat. But... Check it out. I'm old case on, on Snapchat, so I'll post some stuff there from time to time when I figure it out, and then uh, go from there. So if you're interested in coming to Moving Iron Summit, make sure you check that out. Go to movingironllc.com. At go to the Moving Iron Summit tab, and all the information is there that you can uh, that you can possibly want. If you need more information, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I will be happy to get back to you. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Haggett. Let's go be smart, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving on